the pulpit this morning. Um, my name is Josh. I uh, am the associate pastor and student pastor at First Baptist Church of Pinson, and I am grateful and honored to be able to stand before you uh, and fill your pulpit this morning. It is a, uh, an, always an honor and a privilege for me to be able to preach wherever that is, whether that's to students, adults, uh, cats and dogs. I just appreciate the, the, uh, the, the gifting that God has given me to be able to stand before anyone and deliver His Word. Uh, so I uh, want to say this about your pastor. Uh, I, am, uh, I listen to a lot of people preach a lot of sermons, a lot of uh, good pulpiteers and good uh, people around the country, and I would just assume listen to, to your pastor preach uh, as, as any of them. He is probably my personal favorite preacher that I listen to uh, on a weekly basis. Um, so you have uh, a huge blessing here to have Brandon to be able to be your pastor. That being said, I have been paying attention to your current, current sermon series and I'm going to be kind of um, uh, continuing in with that today. Uh, I know that you've been going through different encounters that Jesus has had with different people and, you're, and it's called Extending Your Reach. And I would probably echo Brandon and the rest of the leadership that, yes, it's, it's obviously to extend the reach of Victory City, but more so it's to extend the reach of the kingdom of God. We want to bring people into Victory City. Sure, we want to bring people into whatever church that we might go to, but more importantly, we want to see men, women, boys, and girls come to faith in Christ. And that is how we extend our reach. Today, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of things that I hope that you can take with you in order to share with someone about Jesus. We are doing a similar push at our church uh, called Who's Your One? Uh, we are a Southern Baptist church and we have partnered with multiple Southern Baptist churches around uh, the nation, the world, uh, in um, what is being called the Who's Your One campaign. Some of you might have seen seen that posted or, or, or anything like that. And the idea is, the idea is, is for you to find one person, one person that you can share the gospel with. Everybody knows somebody that they can share Jesus with. I think that in some ways the church at large has put a lot of pressure upon us as Christians to share our faith, which some of it is needed pressure. And some of us are just not... Um, the type of people that can go to a person in a grocery line and say, hey, uh, see you buying bread there. I know uh, who's the bread of life. Let me tell you about him. Some of us, that's just not how we roll. Oh, Dasani Waters? Hmm. Well, I know who has living water. You'll never thirst again. That may not be who we are as, as people, but all of us have relationships with somebody that are not a, is not a Christian. Whether it's somebody that you work with, a family member, somebody that you attend a gym with, or somebody that you um, have some sort of kind of play relationship with where you just go and y'all just hang out and do stuff. You have that with someone that you can share Jesus with and that is what my encouragement is for you today is to share Jesus and here's a few things that you can use to share Jesus with. If you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and get that out. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16 verses 14 through 31. 14 through 31. We're going to see that this is a deep text. This is a deep text. And we're going to see Jesus talk about hell and eternal torment in this text. And that is something that we shy away from sometimes when we're talking to people about, about Jesus. We're afraid to tell people about things because we don't want to hurt their feelings or we don't really know what to say. But hell is a real thing. 
It is a real thing. And there are people that are going there. And if we have the truth of the gospel, then we must share it with as many people as we possibly can. We must extend the reach of the kingdom. I can't extend the reach to your friends like you can't extend it to mine, but you can extend your reach to someone. So we're going to see Jesus talk about this. And we're going to see how it relates to evangelism. And what I want us to understand... And what I want us to be able to at the end of this sermon is to explain to people that the rejection of God results in the judgment of God. The rejection of God results in the judgment of God. And we will see that the judgment of God is harsh, it's unquenchable, and it is eternal. We're going to see those things in the text today. So as we read, here's the word of the Lord. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all of these things and scoffing at him. And he told them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed. And everyone is urgently invited to enter it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to drop out. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. I have some great news. We're not going to really talk about that text today. So you are safe on, on, a, on committing adultery if, uh, in marriage. So we're safe there. Verse 19. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, They will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful that you teach us things in your word. We are grateful that we can take things from your word and we can apply it and we can use it. And Father, I pray for anointing of the Spirit in this place. I pray for anointing of the Spirit upon myself as I um, am blessed to be able to preach your word today. Help us to understand, Father. It is in your name we pray. 
Amen. So the way that we're going to do this this morning is I'm going to give you my point, and then we're going to talk about my point. So if you write things down, if you're a writer of things down, I hope that you do. Uh, the first point and the first thing that you need to write down is that deeds don't justify. Deeds don't justify. You can also trade the word deeds for works or workings or something like that. But the idea is that deeds don't justify. Now, as we read this text, we are seeing that Jesus has an encounter with some Pharisees. Now, if you don't know who Pharisees are, you're not familiar with who these men are, I'll give you a small explanation. Pharisee means separated ones. These were men that were very high on oral law tradition. They wanted to follow every letter every dotted I, every cross T of the law. And so they were very strict on how they followed the law. And also they were very strict on holding others accountable for how they followed the law. They're not really good at staying in their lanes. So in essence, these men were of the idea that in order for someone to be saved or to have a right relationship with God, they had to meet certain standards and they had to keep those standards very high. Okay. Now, the Pharisees controlled the synagogues. They were very uh, influential in the church, in the synagogues. They had a great control over the population. Now, this is important because they were highly influential to modern thought. Okay? The Pharisees were highly influential to modern thought. And because they put an incredible amount of pressure on the populace to obey rules, they had very little, if any, grace towards people at all. You see, their idea of being made right before God was to do everything that the law required. Okay, That includes the ten, and that includes the six hundred and something that they put around the ten to protect themselves from the ten. They were strict about obeying the feasts, festivals, all the little church attendance things. They were so strict about this. But then Jesus comes along and says that it isn't the law itself that saves you to them. And, they, and he says this to them and the people of these towns. And that makes it very difficult for the Pharisees to control the people. And listen, when you can't control people, you can't control their money. And when you can't control their money, you lose influence. And that's what's happening in this text. So Jesus just had just told a parable right before we get to the text that we just read. And he said, and I'll, I want you to see if you can help me out with this. We'll see how many Bible readers we have today. Okay. He says a, one of the most quoted statements in the scriptures itself. It says, you can't love God and money, mammon, right. You can't love God and money. So Jesus says this to these men, and they begin to grumble about this. But Jesus, as, as uh, I believe Brandon said in one sermon, he said, this is why I love Jesus. Because he does things that make you go, mm, and he's about to do that. 
Jesus in no way is afraid of controversy. Jesus is in no way afraid. He's not going, well, you know, maybe you're right. No, Jesus is very vocal about the truth. And Jesus snaps back at them and says to these Pharisees, you are the ones who try to justify yourself before God and others by your actions that you take. You are more concerned with how you look, with how you dress, with how you keep the law than anything else. You are not concerned with people's souls. You are not concerned with salvation as a whole. You are more concerned about the stuff than you are about God himself. And God knows their hearts. He knows that their hearts are filled with selfishness. It's filled with evil. It's filled with wrong motives. And Jesus calls them out on this. So the thing that Jesus is trying to get across to these hard-headed and hard-hearted fools is that you are incapable of saving yourself. You are incapable of this. And because they think these things, they are leading people astray. And this angers Jesus that they're applying this unnecessary pressure upon people. And this is not in my notes, but I was just thinking about this in the back. And listen, this should anger us. If we're Christians in here, we should be angry that there are people, that there are churches meeting all over the country right now that are explaining to people, if you give your 10%, if you give this, if you give this, if you do this, then God's going to bless you. We should be angry just as Jesus is angry about that. It's modern. It's happening right now. So when we look at today's culture and today's way of thinking, we will hear people say that their goal in life is to just be a good person. We've heard many people say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a good person. Maybe you've tried to share the gospel recently and someone said, well, hey now. I'm a good person. My goal in life is to be the best me that I can be. And we need to explain this to them. That is a wonderful goal to have. You should be the best you you can be. But despite of your striving, despite of your trying, despite of your deeds, despite of your works, you are incapable to save yourself in front of God. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says this. And I want you to pay attention. There's a couple of key words in here that I'll bring to your attention. This is Paul. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. The word no one or not even one in these three verses occur six times. Do you think Paul is trying to drive a point home? That there is no one in this world that is able? There is no one in this world that is good? There is no one who seeks true righteousness. All of the righteousness that we seek are tainted in some way. Righteous acts are in no way in, done in order to save yourselves. 
And the Pharisees, listen, they're pious. They're upright dudes. If a Pharisee came into here, they'd have their Bible. They'd open it up. They'd be quiet and attentive in church. They would tithe. They believed in God. They believed in a Messiah. But they tried to earn their favor with God. And they tried to earn it based on the fact that they had a head knowledge of things. They knew it. And because they think they knew it, they decided, well, I'm going to work and work this debt out. And the thing is, is this. God is not going to be bought by His creation. God is not to be bought by His own creation. You cannot gain heaven because you know things about God or because you do things for God. God is not going to say, well, okay, little Josh, little bald Josh, look at you. You tried really hard. You know what? I guess I'll bend and let you in. No. His sovereign plan from the beginning was to send His Son Jesus to die on a cross, to shed His blood for you and for me. Listen, that is the gospel. And the reason that the gospel is wonderful, great news is because it doesn't require us to do anything. That's wonderful news. We cannot contribute to our salvation. The only thing, the only thing that we bring to the table is the filthy rags of sin which Jesus then takes and washes them white as snow. The only thing you and I contribute to salvation is our sin. And listen, people need to hear that. There are people all over the place. There are people that you know, there's people that I know that are trying to do their best to be their best. And that's not good enough. It is only Christ who saves us. It is only the shed blood of Jesus that saves us. Point number two. Jesus reveals the heart of men. Jesus reveals the heart of man. Now, Jesus says to these pious, upright men that while you try to make yourself clean on the outside and justify yourself by doing all the right stuff, God looks into your heart. So what does this mean for us? It means this, that our hearts are dark. Our hearts are clouded with sin and sinful desires. Listen to this in Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. And I love the way that the CSB says this. Some, some versions say the word desperately sick, but I like this version better. And it says this, The heart is more deceitful than anything else. And listen, here's the word, incurable. It's stage four. It's incurable. Who can understand it? Well, verse 10 is going to tell us. I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. Friends, listen. We need to understand that sin 
and sinful desires comes from your heart. When you sin, when I sin, when we do things that are unjust in the sight of God, that comes from your heart. Because our heart is dead and it's incurable. Which means that you and I are unable to heal our own hearts. And for those that don't understand what I'm saying, I'm not talking about your physical heart, I'm talking about your person, who you are. We lie because it's in our hearts. We gossip because it's in our hearts. We hate others for whatever reason. We might hate others. Color of skin, social status, education, Republican, Democrat, moderate, libertarian. We hate people because it's in our hearts. Your heart and my heart is darkened with sin. And we're unable to examine this fact on our own. We think we're justified in our sin. We think it's okay for us to gossip. Well, it's just one, he, and I need to vent. Well, I don't like them because of whatever. The only way that we're able to see our own sin is when Jesus reveals it to us. And the reason that Jesus is able to reveal our hearts to us is because His heart is pure. His heart is unstained by sin. And, bless God, He's the God of the universe. He made us. He is the one who is able to say, as Ezekiel says, that I'll take that heart of stone and I'll replace it with a heart of flesh. That's who Jesus is. That's what we're warning people. We're telling people, your deeds don't justify. And man, your heart is dark. And Jesus wants to change it. Jesus wants to heal your heart. He wants to heal your brokenness. Point number three. Social status does not get you in. Social status does not get you in. Now, if we move into verse 19. Move into verse 19. This is a story that Jesus tells the Pharisees. Now, some scholars believe that this is a true event. Other scholars believe this is a parable. Either one is fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change the point of the story that Jesus is making. It doesn't matter. So what happens is Jesus tells of two people, one who is rich, one who is lowly. And he calls the lowly person by name. He doesn't mention the rich person's name, which is odd in their culture because they would have not known the lowly. They would have known the rich guy. And he does this to reveal to the Pharisees that it is the lowly who has right standing with God. So he tells the story. And I want you to see the huge contrast that he has between the rich guy and the poor guy. The rich guy wore expensive clothes. He drove nice cars. His camel had the big hump, not the little hump. It had good gas mileage. Okay? Not my beat-up forerunner outside with the cracked windshield. Missing parts. Okay? He ate big expensive meals. 
He's not like me that goes to Taco Bell for bean burritos for lunch. Okay? Hey, as far as a gift from Victory City, if y'all want to give me Taco Bell gift cards, I'll be down front afterwards and you can just shower me with gift cards from Taco Bell. Okay? Don't hate on it. This guy lived in the lap of luxury. He had everything he wanted and everything he needed. Meanwhile, Lazarus covered with sores. He had dogs licking them. I have a dog, and when she smells me, I want to hit her in the head. Like, I want her away from me. I'm not a big dog. Okay, all right, go on. Just imagine a dog. You're just sitting, you're just sitting there chilling. You don't feel good. You're hurting, and all of a sudden the dog comes up and starts licking your sores. How disgusting is that? And it also says this man was hungry. So this man is unclean in the sight of the people, and he would have been unclean in the sight of the Pharisees, so he couldn't go into the temple to worship. He's lowly. He couldn't do the stuff. But, as my commentary that I read on this so gracefully put it, that the great equalizer came for both of these men, and that is death. The great equalizer. So both die, and the one who lived like a king enters into a place of torment. And the one who was poor entered into a place of bliss. Now there is no indication really that these two men knew each other at all. There's no way of knowing that if the rich man even knew who Lazarus was, which is kind of the point. The point Jesus is trying to make here is that if you seek out earthly pleasures above heavenly pleasures, that's not the kind of people that make it in. If your goal in life is to seek out stuff for yourself, that is called idolatry. God has something to say about idolatry, namely that he hates it. We need to be the type of people whose earthly kingdoms look like the poor man. Now, I am not saying that if you are, have a good job and you make good money, that the, or you drive nice cars. That is not what I'm saying. If that's a goal of yours, then, go, then do that. Be, achieve goals. But your goals can't overtake your love for Jesus. And at some point, you have to examine, is my job, is my family, is my this, is my that, overtaking my love for Jesus. That's idolatry. And idolaters have no standing with God. We must be people that are not trying to live the good life, but are living the God life. So just because we think we have it all together and just because we think we belong doesn't mean we're making it in. Our lives as Christians is based on Christ and Christ alone. And listen, that is something that we have to explain to people. Man, as a student pastor, I see this all the time. And I'm sure Brandon saw it as a student pastor. Maybe even some of you see this all the time. That I, We have people that miss church 
will miss it, will miss being in worship, will miss being around God's people because Junior has a baseball tournament at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We see all, and I have heard many stories where someone, we would encourage someone to come, well, look, buddy, look, brother, I'm trying to get my daughter a scholarship. That's the most important thing in the life. Meanwhile, you're giving her good earthly pleasures, but you're crushing her soul. This is something that we need to explain to people. Can't seek earthly kingdoms. We seek heavenly ones. Fourth and final point. The judgment of God is painful and it is eternal. The the judgment of God is painful and it is eternal. Look at verse 23 specifically. He says, And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off, with Lazarus at his side. So here's a picture. This man wakes up. He's dead. He wakes up and he sees himself in eternal separation from the love, justice, and mercy of God. We see a man who begins to plead for comfort. We see a man who begs Lazarus to go and warn his brothers to cool his tongue. We see a man who thought he had it all together. We see him now in the most lowly of places. His riches didn't matter. His good deeds didn't matter. His church attendance didn't matter. All that matters now for this guy and all that he recognizes and realizes is that he is in eternal pain and eternal suffering and there is no rescue. You hear that? There's no rescue. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, Because, besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you. Those that want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. And so this is Abraham talking to the rich man. And the idea that Abraham is trying to drive home to this dude is that I can't help you. This is God who fixed the Grand Canyon between us. This is God who fixed this. I didn't make this. God made this. God put the chasm there. There's a great story in Genesis chapter 6 of a guy named Noah. Who, anybody knows who Noah is? Noah and his flood? Okay, Noah and the ark. Don't watch the movie. That was awful. Okay, but Noah. There's a really great story, or part of the story rather, where All the animals have gathered. All the people have gathered. They're in the boats. And the story says that God shut the door. He didn't hook an elephant up and say, all right, back him up, shutting the door. It says God shut the door. And the idea is that God saved his own inside the ark, and he was about to rain down judgments on those that were left. This is the same picture that we get in Luke 20, 16, 26, is that when we die, we are either on the saved side or we're on the other side of the chasm. This is something we must warn people about. This is something that we have to tell our friends, that we have to tell our family, that we have to tell those that we love, that there is a place of eternal punishment for you if you reject him 
We cannot let people die thinking, I'm okay. I do all the stuff. I'm a good dad. I'm a good mom. I work hard. I go to church sometimes. We can't let people die thinking this because there is no coming back. The only way to be saved from the gulf is to place your faith in Jesus. Repent of your sins and give Him everything. Otherwise, there's no hope. My dad, uh, as I was telling him about my sermon, he's a pastor of a church in Pinson as well, and we were talking about it, and, and he, he told me something about this sermon, and it resonated with me in a very hard way. It hit me. It hit me hard. He said, you know, the first person that ever went to hell is still there. The first person that ever died and went to hell is still there. Man, that's a scary thought. I mean, we have no idea how old the earth is in some ways. We could be billions, we could be thousands, but in either, either way, man, that's a long time. The average age of man is 80 years, 80 or 90 years maybe. And we're thinking about people being in hell for thousands and thousands of years, separated from the love, grace, and mercy of God and only experiencing His wrath and His hatred for sin. And we undoubtedly have family members, have friends, have people that we love and care about that are on their way to hell. And it is your job and it is my job to warn those people. Hell is the final judgment of everyone who rejects the grace and salvation that is offered freely to those who believe. So my question for anyone in here today, number one, are you a Christian? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Because if you haven't, man, you need to. You need to. There's, there's plenty of help here that can help you and point you in the right direction. Hey, for you, if you're a Christian here today, what a wonderful, wonderful way for you to leave out here motivated to say, I want to share Jesus with someone. I want to deliver this great gospel truth to my friends, to my family, to whoever. So we're going to have a time of response. Um, if you um, want to respond to the message, you're more than welcome to. Pastor Brandon are here. Pastor Ray will be here. I'll be down here. Um, we're, we're going to pray. And here's what I would ask you to do. If you don't respond up here, that's totally cool. That's, that's between you and God. But what I would ask you to do is to respond in your seats and pray for somebody that you can share Jesus with. Pray for yourself that God will give you courage and boldness to do that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you saved us. That you sent Jesus to do what I couldn't do. That he died on the cross for us. Father, take, take our brokenness, take our unwillingness, God, and make it willingness. God, if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know you, God, save them, draw them to yourself. Father, I, I want to lift up 
many people that I have in my mind right now that need you. God, work on them. God, use me. Forgive me for where I have been a failure. Help us. We love you. We say these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You